You're listening to Hello Vancouver. I'm your host, Temple Lentz. Thank you for listening. In today's show, I'm speaking with Anne McInerney Ogle, the city of Vancouver's mayor pro tem, who is currently running to be the city's mayor. If she wins, she will be Vancouver's first woman mayor. We sat down very briefly uh, during some time in between a couple of events. She is always out, whether it's on official city business or out campaigning, and I caught her for just a few minutes in between events. We sat down in what we thought at the time was a very quiet corner of the Vancouver Hilton before an event she had to get to. It turned out to be kind of a busy corner, so during the interview, you are going to hear some doors opening and closing and a few voices in the background, but it was great to catch her and talk about a wide range of things from what got her into public service in the first place to how she plans to continue to address Vancouver's homelessness crisis and the housing crisis that we currently have in the city, Uh, the taxing structure of the city and how we actually pay for all of the services that we have and what she plans to do in her time as mayor if she wins. I am sitting now with Anne McInerney Ogle, Mayor Pro Tem of the City of Vancouver and candidate for Mayor of Vancouver. Anne, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you, Temple. This is fun. So we are just going to talk. I'm interested in hearing about your campaign, how it's going, talking to you as candidate. Yes. We've had a number of conversations in other venues about your uh, role with the city. You have been with the city um, for a while now. Yes. When were you first elected? Oh, November 2013 and took office January 2014. So then became Mayor Pro Tem January 2016. So before that I was on the Planning Commission, but I've also served on a number of different task forces. The governor appointed me to the I-5 task force, oh, way back at the turn of the century. (laughs) (laughs) And neighborhood associations and VNA and those types of things. But no, this has been been a a wonderful second career. (laughs) So what was it that initially inspired you to run for public office? Well, we started with Shumway Neighborhood Association and building a park. And it was that process that helped me understand the rules and regulations of planning and funding and how to use CDBG funds and how to work with your neighborhood on a priority take it to fruition to finish a project, but also work with the city of parks and get that done. And as we worked through that, we realized then we also had sidewalks, then we also had a street problem, then we also had graffiti, and we had a number of different problems in our neighborhood action plan. And as we were identifying the problems, we also identified how to solve them and all the different departments that were involved. And as I came to testify to each of those departments, I realized there's an opportunity to solve problems not just in Shumway and not just in West Vancouver, but also in East Vancouver. At that time, we were looking at Mill Plain. It was prior to the annexation of Mill Plain and we were looking at congestion on Mill Plain. We were looking at traffic congestion out there. And as I learned more and more, I realized I need to get involved more and more and that's when I applied for the Planning Commission. That gave me land use information and what is the comp plan and what is the Growth Management Act, all of those different issues, and then Terry and I built an accessory dwelling unit. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so Terry's your husband and you yes. built an, also known as an ADU. That's right. Was uh, that? Above our garage mm-hmm. for my mother-in-law, Margaret Ogle. In fact, Margaret designed it 
and it was going to be for her and she decided she didn't want to leave Santa Cruz and come back <laughs> to Vancouver where it's sometimes gray but we had an ADU and so all of that background experience led me forward to learning about how the city government works and how to be involved in that decision-making process and then I came to City Council frequently to testify and to learn and to watch and realize that's where I needed to go. So as you're running for mayor now, what, what a, let's talk about your vision for the city. Oh my gosh, we have so many wonderful projects. And some people just think of the waterfront. That is just one piece, and that is an exciting piece. And you can watch it on the videos that show the drones building the pier, the Grant Street Pier, and as it comes rising up out of the Columbia River. But we have, we're a growing community. We have 3,100 people that come to the city every single year, and they come for a number of different reasons. So we have the housing. I'd love to solve some problems with our homeless and our housing. And we have 4,300 apartment units on the construction timeline right now. So we're working, collaborating with Council for the Homeless and the county and all of our different faith-based organizations to work on housing. So a big, big goal for us is to help all of those individuals get those families out of cars into housing so those children can be stable in their school and continue with their education. But we also have congestion. We want to get that I-5 bridge replaced. We want to solve the congestion problems within the city. We have the West Side Mobility Study. We have a new bridge that we're looking at for the Fruit Valley over the railroad tracks to bring the trucks down into the port and out of the port away from the neighborhoods. We have our 14, the widening of 14, and bless their hearts, Camus Washugal gave us their money from Olympia to widen 14. So between um, 192nd and the 205, we'll widen that. We're using express buses on the shoulders right now to get people out of the transit into Portland quickly. We have a number of congestion issues, and we're not going to build our way out of it, but we can work within it and work with mass transit. We're looking at a second bus rapid transit line on Mill Plain. We had the ridership numbers to get the federal funding, so we're looking at that. But it's also the economic development piece. Mm -hmm. The city does very well with the small businesses. On the big businesses, we have a great relationship with Columbia River Economic Development Council. They're the ones, along with Greater Portland, Inc., who collaborate for the region and focus here in Clark County those big businesses that want 10, 15, 20, 25 acres to bring in the big projects with 125,000 square feet and move their headquarters in. They're the ones that helped us bring in the Banfield mm -hmm. over at Columbia Tech Center. We have a great economic opportunity because of our livability. People want to come to us. So economic development brings the jobs over here and keeps our folks on the, the north bank of the river so that they're not having to cross into Oregon for their jobs. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as the Oregon, uh, Oregon Washington crossing goes and a replacement bridge, right. uh, after it fell apart a couple of years ago, uh, it seemed like it might just be dead in the water. And there have been some efforts to revive it. But how, 
I mean, how realistic is that? Oh. It doesn't sound like Oregon is very into it. Well, they're a little nervous about it, but we'll, they'll come to the table. And in fact, maybe you read in the Columbian that they have, with Patty Murray's support and with Jamie Herrera Butler's amendment to the tolling, they want Vancouver, Clark County, and Washtenaw to come and sit at their tolling commission meetings. And they've given us two votes. It'll be interesting to see how we are part of that decision-making process on their tolling commission. And there might be room for negotiations on this so that we look at what projects are being paid for with tolls, where the tolls are, how the tolls are taken. Do the tolls pay for the replacement of the I-5 bridge? Do they also help the maintenance of the 205 bridge? Who's being told? Can those tolls be uh, a tax deduction on the income taxes for those individuals who work in Oregon? I paid those taxes for over 20 years. So there might be some opportunities there. We'll just have to see. But I think Oregon might be interested in hearing from us and working on that replacement. We'll just have to kind of play it by ear. But our legislators, Senator um, Cleveland and Sharon Wiley and Monica Stonier, and then Paul Harris has been working in Brandon Vic. They've been working with us to make sure that we start the conversation with Oregon and bring them on. But right now, Oregon is working on their transportation and their congestion, so they're going to want to see what we say about their work mm -hmm. and see if we can collaborate together to get this bridge taken care of. And do you think, uh, where do you think we stand on light rail or another mass transit mm -hmm. uh, crossing for the river? It's really early to say because in the old project, it didn't make any difference what mass transit, there was money mm -hmm. for mass transit. And the federal government didn't care what kind of mass transit, although the locally preferred alternative was light rail because there was a big push from Oregon to put that light rail piece in, and that was part of the negotiations. But right now, we don't even know if there's money at the federal level for mass transit. You had also referenced the uh, affordable housing and the homelessness crisis, which we are seeing it's not just Vancouver that has no. a problem. No. It's the entire country, but definitely all along the West Coast. Uh, how is the city of Vancouver continuing to work on addressing these needs? And as a candidate, what are you talking about with constituents as you're out on the campaign trail? So as we were talking about before, there's a, a long spectrum, all the way of people in tents, on sidewalks, off on the edge to families in cars. But we are also talking about the working poor who don't make quite enough money to get into that apartment and the rents keep rising. We don't have rent control in the state of Washington. We have a new day center that we're looking at. We'll know here in the next couple of weeks where and what it is. The one we're looking at right now, well, first of all, we have a thousand square feet down at Friends of the Carpenter. The new one has 25,000 square feet with opportunities for bathrooms and showers and mailboxes and charging phone and all of those opportunities. And also caseworkers to help those individuals. So we're preparing for our winter and we'll, we have several uh, new organizations that are coming on. We have a lot of churches that are now considering how to 
re, how to remodel their own facilities. St. Luke's on Fourth Plain, women underneath uh, in the basement, and they redid some rooms there. We have or churches that are looking at their spaces differently to say, can we take two or three individuals as part of our religious mission and give them housing? We need, we need a whole bunch more <laughs> to help us with that. We're nibbling on this elephant and trying to understand how to help, but each person, each family has a different story. And as we look at it, um, we're making progress, but it's not just mm -hmm. the city. It's the county. It's the collaboration with the county. The county has homeless in their unincorporated area that they need to work on. Those people are coming into the city for help. The county now is understanding that they're coming to the city for help, but these people actually once lived in Hazeldale and on the north end of Orchards or on the south end of Battleground. They lost their housing. They're coming for help, so the county has a role. But we're also, with all of our faith-based organizations, all of our nonprofits, and we're SHARE, and all of these groups that are helping feed, clothe, and shelter individuals. So it's going to be a big issue for a long time. Yeah, it is, and we are definitely in a crisis situation. Yes. And it's, it's good to hear and see solutions about helping get people out of cars and off the street and into housing as, as quickly and effectively as possible. What is the city doing to address sort of the longer term nature of this problem as far as it isn't just that there's people on the street, there's that a climate has been created where there are so many people living on the street. There are. How do we change that? I'm not sure that we have an answer yet. One of the issue, one of the best groups we have was the Vancouver Housing Authority. I think we need to go back and revisit the Vancouver Housing Authority. I, ha I brought to council Monday night that little booklet that was printed in 1972 that gave the history of the VHA during the wartime and how they were able to come in and build small, granted it was very small, it, you're talking 600, 700 um, for some of those little places, a thousand square foot homes that had two bedrooms and a kitchen and a bathroom and built up the McLaughlin Heights mm -hmm. over a very short amount of time. The Vancouver Housing Authority understands housing. When we're talking about we them, they have case managers along with SHARE, along with these established groups that have the experience to help us move forward. So, can we talk about taxes a little bit? <laughs> I know that's what every candidate loves to talk you about. Bet. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, I'm hearing about uh, the potential for Vancouver to be looking at uh, revenue for the city, that we recognize that there are, you know, we have needs for roads, for first responders. Uh, what is Vancouver doing to talk about meeting our ongoing needs? Okay. When the police chief brought forward his police initiative 
to bring us up out of 1990 and bring us into some sort of standard for our 175,000 people, we needed additional officers and we needed to pay for them. We had already used up all the easy taxing opportunities. We needed to look at others. So we upped our utility, we upped our uh, employment for each employee, and we looked at square footage for retail, commercial, and industrial. We brought two plans forward, implement everything now or wait and implement the square footage. And we took plan B with the idea that we would bring in a group of individuals, we call them the Vancouver Strong, the executive group that Mayor Levitt is using right now. They are studying every single thing concerning city government. I think we should give them a graduate five credits for their master's degree, MBA or something. They're looking at each department, what is good, better, and best, and how that department is funded, what comes out of enterprise funds, what comes out of the general fund, what is dedicated to them. Helping set a standard for that department and then looking at these funds, where they come from, and how do we pay for city government. They are finding that it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Back in 1992, when we got rid of the B&O tax, business and occupation tax, we had funds, dedicated funds, from the state of Washington. So what do we have right now? We have a little bit of alcohol money. We have a little bit of road money. We have a little bit of pension money. And we have some marijuana money. Nothing that we had back in 1992. So we're feeling that we're all on our own right now. How are we going to fund everything? And this Vancouver Strong Group is learning everything that we've known for some time, but then they're going out into the community to say, this is what we know for a fact. We have a structural deficit. The cost of that asphalt out on the road is rising at 2%, but we could only get 1% in our budget. It's not 1% for every single person's property tax. It's 1% of our budget. If we had a budget of $100, we only get $101. But our, our inflation is $102. So we have that deficit that's happening. So we have a billion-dollar budget, but we're always falling behind 1% of that. How do we fund that? They'll go out, in executive sponsors, the Vancouver Strong Group, will go out to the community to say, this is what we found, this is what we recommend, what is your thought on this? They'll have an engagement process with the community. They'll come back May 2018, present what they have found to the council. I suspect the council will not only thank them tremendously, but say, let's take this to the voters. November 2018, voters, this is what we think we need. Do you support it? And we'll let the voters decide. Good, better, best, and this is how we fund it. Does that mean the B&O tax? It could be. It's premature to be talking right now about what the executive group might find. They might find that we need to use the entertainment tax. We haven't been using that. We haven't discussed that since the old baseball time. <laughs> 
but that would mean taxing the Vancouver Symphony, the high school plays, bowling, every movie, anything that would be considered entertainment. There are lots of different opportunities, and we've taken the easy ones. We're talking about the hard ones now. So that's why, bless their hearts, these individuals have stepped forward and they've dedicated 18 months of their life to helping us solve this problem. I want to talk about one thing that uh, wasn't in the news when we scheduled this interview, but just came up yesterday. We're recording this interview on the day after your opponent in the race, Stephen Cox, uh, announced that he is dropping out of the race. And in a letter that he wrote, he cited um, ongoing struggles uh, with uh, PTSD and traumatic brain injury. And uh, he has said he's pulling out of the race. Well, first of all, uh, you know, we'd all like to thank Mr. Cox for his many, th more than three decades worth of military service, service to our country. And that should never, that should always be at the front of our minds that this man has dedicated his life to serving our country. So we'd like to thank him for his service. But also thanking him for wanting to be engaged in the community. Um, he stepped up to be the chair of his neighborhood association. We appreciate that. We have 67 different neighborhoods, and we need neighborhood leaders to work with us. They're the, they help us as a city to understand the needs in that neighborhood, how we can help that neighborhood solve some of their problems. So I absolutely wish him and the, his family the best as they recover from um, all of this. But running a race brings out a lot of interesting conversations and can be very stressful. I wasn't running against Mr. Cox. I was, and still am, running for the position of mayor for the city of Vancouver. And that meant going to all of the different neighborhood associations, going to all the forums, answering those questionnaires that you get from all of the individuals that think they want to consider endorsing you. That means hours and hours of work. But all of that is what a mayor and a city councilor always does. The city councilors don't come in at 4 o'clock on Monday, crack their, their book open to find out what the decision is going to be for that night, and then expect staff to give them the answers. City councilors and the mayor are out there all the time listening and working. Yes, we get the heat, we get the conversations, positive and negative, but we're also answering the questions. We're reading, we're researching, we're answering those questions concerning everything from fire and police and ambulance, contracts, water, sewer, streets and sidewalks, the parks and the arts, everything that you can think of. We didn't even have homelessness on our strategic plan. We had 52 action items when we did that. Homelessness wasn't even part of it. Our folks are going to conferences and workshops. They're traveling to Olympia. They're uh, testifying in Olympia. They're working in Spokane. They're learning how everything can work together. It's a lot of work. And a campaign brings out the stress of that work 
And that's the exciting part for some folks. So when they're thinking about doing this, they need to understand that this is like a master's degree in city government, city university. I think we should get college credit for it. But I understand Mr. Cox is taking a time out right now. And while he has notified, um, and I'm not sure exactly, but I didn't get a copy of the letter, so I don't know exactly who it went to, but the race is still on. This is a marathon. And while he may take a time out and he may be sitting on the bench, so to speak, I still need to cross the finish line. I still need to win. So I am still out there in the community talking to individuals, working with them. They want to talk to the person who's going to be mayor. They want to tell us what their concerns are, what their vision is, where they want to see the city go. They want to see that we have a plan moving forward. They want some of their questions answered. So I'll still go doorbelling. I'll still have my booth at Farmer's Market. I'll still be out there at the League of Women Voters, at CVTV, Right to Be Heard, all of those different groups that have concerns, who want their questions answered. They want to hear how we're moving forward. I'm still running. My shoes may have changed. I may have you know, a, a change of shoes and a smile on my face, but this is still a race. So we need folks to get out to vote. We need them to register to vote. We need everything in the mailboxes and mailed and dropped on November 7th to win this race. And that's going to be important because it's not just my race. It's the other city councilors. We have school boards. We have port commissioners. Well, it sounds like you've got a full schedule. And thank you for taking the time and all the best in the election. Ballots will be in the mail here shortly. So Vancouver, start voting, and, uh, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Temple. We had a great time. And that's our show. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Temple Lentz, and this has been Hello Vancouver. To find out more about Hello Vancouver, visit our website, hellovancouver.us, and be sure to check out our live stage shows in Vancouver, Washington, every other month. Hello Vancouver is produced by High Five Media.